and some things that, that would help you uh, and know what's happening with it uh, at the beginning of that class. And then keep in mind, next Sunday evening will be our ice cream supper. And so uh, we look forward, of course, uh, to that time and to the Vacation Bible Schools this week and next week. And we pray God's blessings on that. And appreciate each one of you that help with those and participate in that. And glory be to God for that. We have some great news from Brazil uh, that's just come in. Paulo... Aguiar was baptized this afternoon into Christ. His first contact was when he visited the church and Brian King was actually preaching that week and then um, kind of lost sight of him for a while and he started visiting again and Nick has studied with him some and then he made contact with Tony Torres. And... Uh, and so uh, I don't know all the details of that, but I know he's been baptized into Christ. And uh, glory be to God uh, for that great, great occurrence. Just a few minutes ago on the way in, uh, Miss Janice Jones, uh, she tripped up and fell and, and, and kind of bumped her face. And, and so uh, she's going to go to the emergency room and be checked out. It, it looks as if uh, things are going to be well there. But, but still, I, I'd like for us to, to pray on her behalf. And then let's go into a study of God's word. Let's bow. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as your children. And to have our brothers and sisters sitting all around us. And knowing that some of the people that love us the very most on this earth are in this room. We thank you for letting us be a part of your family. And God, we pray that in everything that we are and everything that we do, that we always love you and, they always, and that we always care for your family. And tonight, God, Miss Janice is on our hearts and as she is going to the emergency room, God, we pray that you will give her peace and healing. And we pray that whatever needs to be provided from a medical standpoint can be provided. And we pray that uh, you comfort Guy and strengthen him as uh, he is by her side. Uh, God, for many in this congregation that uh, are nurses or have various medical backgrounds and experiences, uh, we're reminded at times like this of the way they serve us. And we thank you uh, for their life of service. God, as we go into your word, our prayer is that we'll be reverent towards you. And that everything that you have written from passages that we'll be studying tonight that you would want us to learn. Our prayer is that 
we would learn your will and that we would love you enough to leave from here and live your will. God, in that, we ask you to give us success. And it's in your son's name we pray. And amen. Like many of your families and our family, we have several that read Proverbs regularly and some every day. And so Emily was reading a proverb of the day the other day and she read Proverbs, the 13th chapter and verse 22. And it said, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So she immediately got on the phone and she called Pop Pop. She visited with him for just a moment, and this is very common in our family, and without saying any details, as she was hanging up, she said, Pop, Pop, I'd like for you to read Proverbs, the 13th chapter, and verse 22. She hung up the phone. In a few minutes, Pop, Pop called her back. His remark was, well, that verse sure left your dad right out of the picture, didn't it? You know, there's something about godly living that the inheritance just goes on from generation to generation. What a beautiful thing to be a child of God and to have other generations in your family that are children of God so that God's blessings, in a sense, are even multiplied. And they're just passed down and passed down. Have you thought lately of the inheritance? Here we are on Father's Day in America and we look this morning especially at the idea that we can be spiritual fathers, if you will, to really care for each other and get involved in each other's lives. And we look this morning by making application also that physically we, some of us here are fathers and we ought to have a spiritual concern for our children. I'd like for us tonight to just take a few moments and think about what it really means to have the Almighty God as our Father. What are you going to inherit? Have you thought about that? Isn't it going to be amazing that there is an inheritance waiting for us? If you would, back up to Romans. I want to just have this fresh on our minds, and by no means can we exhaust this. As a matter of fact, coming up in Summer Faith, you'll study much more about this and from a much uh, probably better lesson. But, but I, I want you to, to share with me tonight in just a few thoughts. But just as introductory thoughts, will you read with me Romans 8? And by the way, if you're looking at a Bible in your pew, it's page 1005. 1005, a Bible in your pew. Look at Romans the 8th chapter, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Isn't that a wonderful thought to think that we can be released from our sins? And it's not just then that we're free, but then we are adopted by God Almighty. And, and notice he says, And the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, which means Father, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does that mean for us? And if children than heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now think about that statement. We're going to be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We're not considered as some kind of distant children. 
We're going to be joint heirs with Christ. I'm telling you, that's a phrase that boggles my mind, that God would love us so much that he would adopt us in and then say, now, now you're not some kind of stepchildren. You're not some kind of distant children. I have a son that I love so much. His name is Jesus Christ, and I'm going to adopt you into the family, and you're going to share his joint heirs with him. Happy Father's Day. That is an amazing thought. Well, what would that look like? Go with me, if you will, to Revelation, the 21st chapter. In Revelation, the 21st chapter, we're not going to be able by any stretch of the imagination to dissect this paragraph, but I'd like for you to get it on your mind, and then what I'd like to do is drop back to a couple of passages earlier in Revelation and let that be the lesson tonight. But, but just to get our minds churning about this, Revelation 21 and verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Why do you think there wasn't any more sea? Especially in their day and time. We're, we're so accustomed to modern transportation and media and etc. We probably don't fully realize this. Of course we realize it, but we don't realize it the way they would realize. What, what do seas do? Can you imagine back in their day how a sea separated you? Can you imagine the man writing this was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. What separated him from everybody else? A sea. He longed for that day when there'd be no more seas. There'd be no more separations. Then, verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold. Note that word behold. It's there in verse 3 and it's also in verse 5. When the writer in scripture says behold, it'd be very similar to you and I saying, wait, look. Did you see that? Or it would be, hey, are you getting this? Look at this. And so he hears a loud voice that says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now, if the, all the former things have passed away, which is an amazing list. And again, we won't take time tonight uh, to capitalize on that because I'm assuming we'll study more about this in the weeks to come. But notice in verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, we have that word again, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit, so there's a word, shall inherit all things. Now remember back in verse 5, those all things have been made new. And I will be his God. And that goes back to verse 3, that, that God's going to be there and he shall be my son. But here's the bad news. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murders, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What do you think is going to be made new? I think that list is so exhaustive we don't have any way to comprehend all that's going to be made new. The very idea to live with God in heaven is amazing. It's an inheritance. For those that God is their father, they are his children. That is the inheritance that's waiting for us. 
But with that in mind, let's see two things that Revelation says are going to be made new. Look with me, if you will, to Revelation, the second chapter. You'll notice in chapter 2 and chapter 3, if you have a red letter Bible, almost all the verses are in red because this is the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches of Asia. There were seven of those churches in verse 11 of the second chapter. We read about the church of Pergamos. Jesus was the one writing this in verse 11, he, or verse 12. He who has the sharp two-edged sword, and he says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you, notice this compliment, you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the day in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Notice at the beginning of verse 13, it's where Satan's throne is. And in the last of 13, it's where Satan dwells. What do you think it was like to live in Pergamos as a Christian in that day and time when Jesus Christ writes and says, I know what you're going through. I know that you're living in the hot seat of Satan. I know that you feel like his throne is established in your town. But let me tell you what else I know. That one that you love dearly, can you imagine when the people of Pergamos read this letter, can you imagine how some of their hearts must have throbbed whenever they heard that dear beloved brother named Antipas? There could have been someone in that audience said, he just mentioned my son. Jesus just called my son by name. Maybe there was someone that, that would have thought, oh, that, that's my brother that Jesus mentioned. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is letting that church know that those who did what? Those that held fast to my name and to my faith, he's saying, I haven't forgotten you. In other words, we would probably say it like this. Things are better for Antipas than they have ever been. Antipas hasn't lost all, he's gained all. Why? Because he is going to experience the inheritance with God. Brethren, if we inherit that, there is no one that can take away anything that is of great and eternal worth to us. That's all that matters. I want to die faithful to God. I want to hold fast His name, hold fast His faith. Because that is where we find that eternal inheritance and great worth. Now they were fighting in 14, the doctrines of Balaam, and 15, those of the Nicolaitans. And so the plea in 16 was to repent because he's going to come. And then I'd like for you to notice in 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. That's what we all must do. Satan is always going to be on the attack. Will we stand with the Lord Jesus and will we overcome or will we be defeated? Will we stay down or by the grace of God will we stand up again? Notice, he who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now that's a beautiful concept. That's part of the reward. Manna is what sustained the children of Israel out in the wilderness while they were wandering. Bread has been that that has sustained almost every culture and every civilization that's ever been. He says, I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to give you the ability to be sustained forever. But notice this next phrase. This is really a, a great blessing. Verse 17 is the next sentence still in verse 17. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Who knows what this name is? 
What was that last phrase we read? No one knows. I'm not suggesting to you if the Lord says no one knows that I know. But I am suggesting to you that we know that a part of the inheritance is going to be the fact that we are going to be given a new name. We're not even for sure what it means by that white stone. We know in that time period, oftentimes when men would sit around a table and there come time for a vote, each man would have two stones. One would be a black stone and one would be a white stone. And whenever it came time to vote, they would set out a black stone. If their vote was no, they set out a white stone. If their vote was yes. Could it be that that's what he's making reference to? That would have been very common in that day and time. It very well could have been. I don't know for sure. But isn't this a neat thought? When he says, I'm going to have my children. If you overcome, you can be a part of this inheritance. And he says, I'm going to give that new name and I'm going to write it on your stone. Isn't it amazing if what he's saying there, it's as if he's saying, I cast my vote yes for you. And I put that new name on your stone. If that's not exactly what he is talking about, it is a fact that Jesus has cast his vote for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves you so much that when Jesus hung on that cross, he was casting his vote for you. You either accept that or you reject it. But in accepting that, we're accepting his name. We're saying, I want to be, what's a name always do? A name always identifies. I want to be identified with Jesus. I want to be identified with the ones who overcome for an eternity. Cast my vote, yes. Put my name on that yes vote. I want to stand with Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that there was a prophecy back in Isaiah, the 62nd chapter, and that's back on 660 in the Bible that's in your pew. I want to read just one verse. Isaiah 62 and verse 2. Listen to this prophecy of hundred years ago, hundreds of years ago. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And this is prophecy about Zion's salvation. You shall be called by what? A new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. Isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament and Isaiah, it was prophesied that God's people would be given a new name. You're not going to be called Judah. You're not going to be called Israel. What are you going to be called? Well, we don't know for sure if the name that was being prophesied that they would be called is the name that we read about in Acts 11 and 26, but it seems like it probably is. You remember the disciples were called Christians first, in Antioch. Isn't that interesting that under the new covenant, God's followers carried a new name? I love Acts the fourth chapter and in verse 12. Now is there salvation? I'm sorry, nor. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How sweet is the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus, the name means Jehovah saves. How sweet is the name of Jesus to you. How precious 
and how honorable and with what responsibility do you wear the name Christian? To say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you wear that name and do you glorify God by the way you wear that name? Have you made that your identity? Are you willing to cast your vote? Yes, I'll stand with Jesus no matter what the cost. Some of us had the opportunity growing up in smaller towns where your name was probably a little bit more important than maybe some of you that grew up in larger areas. You see, in the smaller towns, somebody hear your last name and they immediately drew a conclusion. Now, I know if you're from a big town, you might immediately say, that's not fair. Well, that's just the way names work. You're going to go tomorrow to work and people are going to have a view of Christianity based on how you wear that name. And the truth is, it may not be fair to us, but that's the way it works. I think about, and I may have shared this with you several years ago, but if you could allow me to share this again. I grew up with stories like this, maybe not quite this dramatic, but it was an everyday thing, almost. It really was. I think about when my buddy and I were teenagers, we were probably about 16 years old, and I had a Palomino mare that I wanted to breed to a Palomino stallion, and I called a guy and I asked him, about his stallion, he said, I've, I've gotten rid of it. I said, do you know anybody else that has one? And he said, sure. He said, I know where a beautiful stud is. He said, and so he told me, he said, that's way out. And he said, the old fella doesn't even have a telephone. He said, you'll just have to go to his door. And so he gave directions long before the days of GPS. And, and so, and keep in mind, we're back in the hill sides of Hickman County. And so... We drive down a long dirt road and turn down another long dirt road that gets really narrow and then we turn into a driveway that looks like it rarely had cars driven up it. And by this time, it's on a summer night and it's probably about 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. Now we were country boys. We knew better than this. You don't go to country folks' door an hour past bedtime. <laughs> and so we, we, walked, we walked up to the, the steps and it was just maybe a little nicer than what you'd envision a shack. And we stepped up on that front porch and we knocked on that rickety door. We waited for a few pause and there was nothing. And then finally we saw the curtain, piece of cloth that he had there in the window kind of come back. And then the door opened with a barrel sticking out. He said, who are you and what do you want? So I told him, I said, I'm, I'm Roy Shannon. And listen, when you live in a place where your name matters something, you're going to immediately throw out. I said, I'm David Shannon. My dad's Roy Shannon. I'm just hoping that's worth something. And I said, I said, uh, called a guy's name and I said, he told me to come by and talk to you about a Palomino stallion you had. He kind of stepped out. He's still trying to wake up. He kind of stepped out there and he said, now wait a minute. You tell me again who you boys are. And I said, well, sir, I'm, I'm David Shannon. And he said, is your grandfather Haynes Shannon? And I said, yes, sir. He said, boy, if I'd have known that, I'd have shot you before your foot hit the first step. <laughs>
that point, he wasn't smiling and the gun actually raised a little bit. And so I'm waiting to see what his reaction is to see if he's serious or not. And so then after just a brief moment, he kind of smiled and he said, Son, your granddaddy's a good man and he knows more about horses than anybody in this country. I said, Yes, sir. He reached back in his house. He grabbed a flashlight. He said, Let's go out there to that barn. I'll show you my stallion I've got. I wish all of us here could have grown up knowing what it's worth to honor a name. When you grew up with a good name, you don't dishonor it. Listen, everybody here that has been baptized into Christ has come out of those waters with a name that matters. And you don't dishonor that name. And you don't live the way you'd like to live just living by the spur of emotions and, and by the immediate temptations. But when you live realizing that your name matters every day and all you do, you're thinking about how am I representing the greater cause? Not me individually, the family. And isn't it interesting that even when we go into heaven, the very idea is, do you have the name that says, I belong in heaven. And I'm not talking about because you worked your way there or you deserved it. I'm talking about because the grace of God, you've been given a new name. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. But second, and I know we've got to make this one quicker, but if you will, look over in Revelation and I'd like for you to look in the fifth chapter. In the fourth chapter is a scene of worship. The 24 elders are falling down and worshiping. The four creatures are falling down and, and worshiping. And the very last verse of the fourth chapter tells us why they're worshiping. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by, you, or, and by your will they exist and were created. So we see this, this scene of worship that seems to be worshiping the Father and praising Him as the Creator. Then we go into the fifth chapter and it's not necessarily beginning as if it's going to be another scene of worship. Instead, we have this seal, this scroll that has seven seals on it. And you know, the seals, of course, protected it. If this, it was still sealed, you knew that no one had, had tampered with the document. And the seals would have an insignia in it which would tell you who owned it, who had the authority to seal this, who created it in the beginning, and it would also identify who has the authority to open it. And so we see this, this scroll. And look in the fifth chapter. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel Proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. You see what he's saying? We need to get this scroll open. Who on earth is able to open it. They looked all over earth, even the Roman Empire. Nobody had the authority or the power to open it. They looked all over heaven. We can't, a strong angel is the one asking. We can't find anyone. What was John's response? Look at verse four. So I wept much, and the word wept there is to wail. It's, it's to cry hard. I wept much because no, 
one was found. Now here's the key. Worthy to open and read the scroll and to look inside it. And then he was told not to weep because the line of Ju tribe of Judah and the root of David. And then look in verse 6. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who's going to open this? There was a lamb. It was a first year lamb without spot or blemish. But wait a minute, if you'll notice on that lamb, on that lamb is blood. That lamb has been offered before. That lamb, that lamb, even though it has been offered, I'm sorry, I know this is distracting, but if not, we're going to have a coughing episode. But do you notice that lamb that has been offered as an atonement is now resurrected. Verse 6 says, There stood a lamb that has been slain. Worthy is the lamb. We can't find anyone that can open this. Wait. There is a lamb that's been slain for us. You remember in Acts 20 and 28 when the church is described as being bought by the blood of the Lamb. Here's that Lamb. And what is the result? You know, we're studying these passages thinking about new things. Chapter 2, he says, you're going to be given a new name. Look at chapter 9. And they sang what? A new song. Fifth chapter, verse 9. They sang a new song. And that's back up in verse 8. It's the four living creatures. It's the 24 elders. They fell down. They began to worship. They sang a new song. What was the, what was the song? They sang these songs of praise. You, I don't know what the tune is. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? What's the reason of redemption? You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Look how far it reaches out out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And look what the result is. And having made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Skip down to verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Skip down and read the last part of 13. Blessings and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Why did it require a new song in worship that day? Because John and those elders and those creatures were seeing things they had never seen before. What is worship? Worship is pouring out your love and your adoration for God. Do you realize in that great day of inheritance when we first enter into heaven, have you ever stopped to think how much we're going to learn? 
that we have never known? And do you realize all that that we're going to see, that we can honestly say, I didn't know that. I've never thought about that. I've never seen that. And we say, this is amazing. What does all of that give us the opportunity to do? It gives us the opportunity to worship like we've never worshiped before. We have so many more reasons to love God. And all of those reasons gives us reasons to praise Him. We can sing a new song. We can literally sing about things that we can't even comprehend on this earth, what it's going to be like. But until we get there, we can sing the songs of praise that we do understand. And to not let this world become our home, but to live for that great inheritance that is to come. That passage we read a while ago in Revelation 21 and verse 3, God will tabernacle with us. You know that's the best part of heaven. We're actually going to live in God's house. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It wasn't that he was going to build heaven. Heaven's already been built. Is that he was going to get it ready. Just like if I told you, hey, did you know you have company that's going to come over and spend the night tonight? Many of you say, oh, I didn't know. Let me go home and what? You wouldn't say it this way, but prepare a place. Let me go home and get things ready. Do you realize that Jesus has left and he's getting things ready so that we can go home? And sure, the streets of gold are probably going to be amazing. A gate where the entire huge gate is made out of one pearl is mind-boggling. Walls out of jasper, a place that God designed and built. How could we even imagine and verbalize it? It's almost impossible. But the best part is to be able to look at that lamb that was slain for us. Look at a father that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for us. I began this lesson by mentioning to you inheritance. If you said right now, David, you can inherit your grandfather Shannon's farm. Or you could just go spend a day with him. Which one do you think I'd pick? I haven't got to spend a day with my grandfather since 87. I'd love to spend a day. I'd love to go out and farm and work. The best part of heaven, the best part of heaven is not going to be the possessions that are heavenly. The best part of heaven is going to be with our God, our Father, that's going to give us an inheritance. And the greatest part of the inheritance is that face-to-face -face relationship with God. I want to go home, and I don't want to miss it, no matter what the cost. Tonight, if we can help you on that journey, there's none of us perfect but we're setting our eyes in that direction of a gracious and merciful God. A God who loves us deeply and we want to love Him back. We want to live for Him. We want to serve Him. We want to be redeemed by the Lamb that was slain. There's only one that's worthy. There's only one that has saved us.
there's only one that we can go to. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you're ready to be restored,